And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. You know, Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And uh, the way we use the word hope today, that verse doesn't make a lot of sense to us if we think of it in the way that we use the word hope today. Because usually when we say, well, I hope that will happen, what we mean by that is we wish it would happen, or we're thinking it might, but there's a possibility it won't. But you've got to understand, the usage of the word hope in Hebrews is the assurance based on the promise that was made and the one that made it. Uh, that's the hope. And when it talks about the fact that faith is the substance of things hoped for, our faith holds to things as if they had already happened, even though they've only been promised. The fact that Jesus is going to come again and take us out of this place, we don't look as something we hope is going to happen. We look at it as a hope that we have in it because we know it's going to happen. Because of the promise that He made and because of the person that made it, we can trust it. I shared a while back this this word hope really kind of got a hold of me about four or five months ago. And... Uh, I, I, I just my brain just it clicked and all of a sudden I had a clearer vision of what it meant through something so simple it seems like and God uses sometimes little things to just help us understand Scripture and uh, I've shared with uh, many of you before and I'll share it this morning real quick uh, my mom had uh, her car died on her and, and it wasn't the first time it had died in the last several years it had died a number of times and we kept patching it together and putting band aids on it and fixing it. And uh, my mom's going to be 79 years old in November. And she's getting to the place where she frets a little bit more than she used to because she's getting up in years and my dad's gone and can't. He always took care of things like that. She never had to worry about them. She'd had this car for almost 20 years. And uh, she didn't know what she was going to do. She didn't have any money. She didn't have a way to finance a car, put anything down on a car. And. She's, she's calling me up at night just, I mean, I've never heard my mom so so scared and nervous about some things and worried about it. And uh, so I I'd, uh, had asked the Lord to, you know, if Lord, there's any way, help me find a car that I can just buy for my mom and take down to her. And lo and behold, uh, a friend of mine had a, a Lincoln Town car, which was the kind that she liked and the one she wanted. It was an older one, but it was in great mechanical shape and and uh, they were asking a certain amount of money for it. Well, I didn't have any money either. <laughs> and uh, I, I went to go look at it on a Friday, and I thought, well, maybe they'll be able to just take payments on it or something. And I uh, went and asked him if he would take payments. He said, well, the reason I'm selling this is because i got this other car I'm trying to buy, so I need the money to buy the other car. So that wasn't going to work out. And uh, so I began to pray about it. I told my kid. We didn't, tell, we didn't tell very many folks about it, a few people that were close to us to be praying about it. And uh, that was on a Friday. By the end of the day on the following Sunday, the Lord had provided the means to buy the car. And then I didn't have a way to get it to Florida for her. And I'm worried about how I'm going to get it down to Florida financially. And uh, Wednesday following that, uh, my kids and I went to supper. And I said, guys, uh, we need to make it a matter of prayer because it's getting close to us taking it down there to her. And, and uh, I don't know if we're going to have the means to do that. And uh, while we were praying, uh, my phone dinged and somebody sent us $800 and it took care of the trip to go down there and back and covered that. 
And uh, so I know I'm going to take this car down to my mom, but I haven't told her yet. I'm trying to surprise her with it. And she's calling me. She's all upset every night. She's just more and more anxious. And I said, well, Mom, I'll be down there this on this Monday, and I'll help you go out, and uh, we'll get you a car. And that was the way I worded it. We're gonna, we're, we'll get you a car. And uh, I already knew I was going to – I already had the car. We're going to bring it down to her. So um, – and uh, but she didn't know that, and she's just fretting and worrying, and her blood pressure's high. And um, my sisters, I called her on I think it was Thursday night that week, and I was going to be there the following Monday. And I called her on Thursday night, and she's crying, she's sobbing. She's like, "Greg, don't even waste your money coming down here. There's no reason to come down. We're not going to be able to get a car. Just no way to do it." And I just don't know what I'm going to do. She was just at a loss. And I hung up from the phone, and within about 20 minutes, both of my sisters called me. And they said, Greg, you're going to have to tell her, because she's just worried sick about this thing. So I was like, eh, I, don't, I don't want her to have a stroke or a heart attack over it. So I called her back. I said, Mom, and she's still sobbing on the other end of the line. I said, Mom, you need to quit worrying about it. She said, Greg, that's easy for you to say. And I said, well, the reason you quit worrying about it is I've already bought you a car. It's sitting here in the driveway. I'm going to be bringing it down to you on Monday. And all of a sudden, she got real quiet on the end of the line. And her first statement was, what color is it? <laughs> but she was so shocked by it. And it took a day or two after that happened for me to think of this idea of hope in Scripture. The Bible talks about faith as a substance of things hoped for. In Titus chapter 2, it says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who gave himself for us. I, I thought of that word hope. I thought, you know, hope in Scripture is not just saying, boy, I sure hope that's going to happen. It's a confidence. The writer of Hebrews said it's the substance of things hoped for. Hope is a confidence that it's going to happen because of the promise that was made and the one who made it. And I thought of that as I thought of my mom and how quickly she went from sobbing and worrying to all of a sudden, the next three days, while she was waiting for me to come down there, four days, she slept like a baby every night. Didn't worry. Was, was, people asked her how she's doing. I'm doing great. In fact, she went around telling everybody, my son bought me a car. He's bringing it down to me on Monday. She couldn't wait to tell everybody. Why? Because she had hope. And it wasn't a wishful thinking. It was the fact that she knew that her son had already done something, and even though she didn't have it in her hands yet, it was going to happen. And that was the hope. Can I tell you this? The Lord Jesus Christ did something for us. He's redeemed us from our sins. He's promised us a home in heaven for eternity where we will not have to endure sin anymore. We haven't recognized it yet, but the promise has been given. The payment has already been made. And by the way, it would be wonderful if we'd go around telling everybody in the world about it. Boy, let me tell you what my Savior did for me. It hadn't happened yet, but I know it's going to because of who He is and what He's promised. And I'm going to call that hope. I have hope in these things. Not wishful thinking, but confidence in the fact that He's done these things. And uh, I don't know why I taught on that, but boy, that's just a blessing, isn't it? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It gives a reality to it, not just something in passing. All right, that was free. We don't even charge you for that one. 
Revelation chapter 3, if you will. And um, we look down at verse number 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou work cold or hot. I'm going to stop there for a minute. That's a pretty convicting verse. He said, I know thy works. Can I, can I encourage us in something today? God knows every thought and intent of our heart. He knows our motivations. He knows the things we're thinking. And He knows our work. How is our work? Are we doing what God has given us to do? Are we being faithful to Him? He's talking about being hot or cold, and He talks about the fact that He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods. Can I stop there for a minute? It does not matter what we say about ourselves. I'll be real frank with you. It really doesn't matter what other people say about us. Ultimately, what matters is what does God say about us. This church in Laodicea, they they say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see... As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. <coughs> to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I am also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, once again, we come and ask for the next few moments. Help us to lay aside any burdens or cares, anything that would distract our hearts and our minds from the message of this passage. And may we be sensitive to what your Holy Spirit will lay upon our hearts. Guide and direct our thoughts. And this message may be helpful to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This church is very confident of themselves, and they're quick to speak of their own goodness. They say, the Bible says, uh, that they are rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And yet God says about them and sees about them that they are poor and uh, wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This church is certainly thinking that they're doing well, and by the way, uh, oftentimes, we, we get to that point, don't we, where we, we clean up ourselves pretty well and we live a pretty decent life and 
We know how to look a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way, especially in front of certain people. We may not always be that way, but we do uh, during those times. And uh, the question today is this, and we're going to we're going to look at several things in this passage. I think that will be a help to us. But are we fully right with God? Are we fully right with God? Now I'm going to I'm going to ask it a different way. Because oftentimes when we phrase it in that sort of a question, we take it corporately. Are we as a church fully right with God? I'm going to ask it this way, and I'm going to ask you to ask it this way today. Am I, am I fully right with God? Have I, have I fully dealt with anything that is between me and the Savior? Is there something that is hindering His work in my life? A few verses earlier at the church at Philadelphia, he tells them that they have an open door that is set before them. And yet, by the time we get to this letter, the letter of the Laodiceans, they have a closed door. Something's happened here. So much so that even though we use this verse often to, uh, to talk to unsaved people, God tells this church at Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door... And knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. There's two things that are necessary for God to do this work in the hearts of these people in Laodicea. First of all, they have to hear. In fact, so much so that he tells them at the end of this, this charge, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. This, this, this Holy Spirit that is knocking on the heart's door of the individuals, those that make up the church at Laodicea. The door that has been shut, that is knocking there, and the, the Bible says, and let him hear. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, that's necessary. And open the door. And those are two separate things. Can I tell you today, one of the prayers we ought to be praying is, Lord, Help me to have my ears to hear. Help me to have my ears to hear. In other words, we're saying by that, Lord, convict my heart in the areas that need to be convicted. Is there anything that is between me and the Savior? And if there is, that is what is hindering the Spirit's work in my life. <clears throat> we oftentimes speak of God working in unusual ways and revival and and, and revival, can I tell you, is, is so much more than just inviting a, a singing group in or, or a, an evangelist in. Next Sunday, we're going to have the Crow family with us. Brother Crow is an evangelist, and he and his wife uh, sing. Diane, they sing, uh, and, and it's a blessing. But can I tell you this? The revival doesn't happen because you have a speaker come in or because you have a specific singing group come in. Revival begins when God's people have their hearts changed when God begins to do a work in their hearts, and the fruit of that revival is that it spreads to a lost world. So often, I think it's needful for us to say, Lord, open my ears. Help me to hear that knock that is on the door. The great problem of the church of Laodicea is they were blind, weren't they? They said that they were rich and increased with goods, and had need of nothing, and that was their perception of themselves. 
But can I say this, that before our hearts can ever be revived, we must have our eyes opened and our ears hearing. In fact, it's interesting that as Jesus speaks to this church, and He tells them, He says, you, you say in verse 17, He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and cold, and are poor and blind. Do we see that word? Blind and naked. Now notice what His counsel is in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And I want you to notice this phrase, and anoint thine eyes with what? Eye salve, that thou mayest what? Why did they need to anoint their eyes with eye salve? Because they were blind. They were blind. Throughout Scripture, there's a number of instances where God opened the eyes of some people. I'm reminded of uh, the story of of, uh, of uh, Elisha and uh, his servant as they were uh, in the city and they got up one morning and, uh, and the servant looked out the window and the armies of Samaria were surrounding the city. They, they were upset. They were going to try to come in and conquer and kill Elisha. And Elisha prayed and asked the Lord to open the eyes of his servant. And when his eyes were opened, the servant saw the angels of God standing around with their swords drawn. When he opened his eyes, something changed. By the way, it gave Gehazi hope. Why? Because all of a sudden he was able to see. And by the way, every time our eyes are opened, we're going to change. There's going to be something different about us. We've gotten to the place where we know how to do church. You notice that? We can dress nice, and we can cut our hair a certain way, and we can carry a Bible, the right Bible, and we can come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday night. We can be at all the services. We can put on a great front outwardly. But how is our heart? Are we, let me rephrase that question, am I fully right with God? Or do I need my eyes opened and my ears to hear? If you will, take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to come back here in just a moment, so hold your place. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter number 20. Matthew chapter number 20, and, and, and I'll tell you folks, we are in a time of history where we are in desperate need for God's people to be stirred up, to have our hearts not lukewarm, not even cold, but to be hot for God, to have our hearts stirred, to have the zeal, the passion, the desire to serve God, to live for God, to, to have a pursuit of holiness and righteousness once again. Matthew chapter number 20, if you will, look with me in verse number... Uh, let's go down to verse number 28. <clears throat> go to verse 27. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And He said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong... I was like, that's not the right verse. Okay, I was in chapter 21. I'm sorry. Chapter 20, 
And let's go to verse number 30. That, I, was, I was like, why is that not lining up? Okay. Chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. I apologize for that. And behold, two blind men sitting by the way, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they, sh- that because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Now, here's the story of these two blind men. They cannot see. And as they begin to cry out to Jesus, uh, people are saying, you know, don't bother him, he's busy. And uh, they're, they're crying out the more. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto thee? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be what? Oh, that would be the prayer of our hearts. That that would be the prayer of our hearts. Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And I want you to notice it says, And immediately their eyes received sight and they what? They what? They followed Him. We live in a time where preachers have to get up in the pulpit and plead for people to come to the church services. Or they have to have some kind of promotion. They have to have some kind of a gimmick to get them into church. Can I tell you this? When our eyes are open, we're going to want to follow God. We're going to have a desire to do these things. We're going to have to have people uh, tell us we got to slow down. We can't be that zealous. We can't be that diligent for the things of the Lord. <coughs> the Apostle Paul, when he first got saved on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. For three days he was blinded, and finally God sends a man by the name of Ananias to go and to lay hands on him and pray over him. And when he did, the scales fell off of his eyes. And Saul could see again. Paul the Apostle is, is now charged with uh, this idea of serving the Lord. And uh, he had even asked him on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And when the scales fell from his eyes, the Apostle Paul took off, I mean, like a, like a tornado he did. The Bible says that he was with the Apostles in Jerusalem. And he was with them so much and, and was, was causing such a, a, a ruckus with his zeal and his excitement of of his, his eyes being opened and being saved and the zealousness that he had from this, the disciples sent him back to Tarsus said, you're too much for us. That's the apostles sending Paul back. For two years he's in Tarsus till Barnabas comes and gets him. Why? Because there was a zealousness. He had a desire to follow the Lord and what the Lord had done when He took the scales from the eyes of the Apostle Paul was to put a zeal inside of him and a desire and a fervency and a diligence to love the things of the Lord. Balaam, in the Old Testament, had his eyes open, didn't he? So many people throughout the Scriptures, you can find that they they didn't understand something until God opened their eyes. And Jesus tells the church at Laodicea, In Revelation chapter 3 again, look with me. In verse number 18, he says at the very end of that verse, And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. I was listening to uh, Brother Scott Pauley uh, a few weeks ago, and he made a statement that I thought was, boy, what a great statement. He said, Our greatest need is to see our need. Think about that for a moment. Our greatest need as Christians 
is to see our need. Lest we become like the church at Laodicea and believe that we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and know us not that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We need to say, Lord, open my eyes. Open my ears. Help me to see these things. There were, there's an instance in college where I was in a, a class and a professor made a, just a simple statement in passing. When, when, when men of God that I trust and I, I, I've watched them, their life and, and they've been consistently faithful and they've followed Scripture, I, I like to hear sometimes when they say things, and this fellow, he made a statement and it struck a, struck a chord in my heart, and I've never forgotten it. But when these type of men say, this is something that will change your life, I, I, I give extra attention to that. I, I'm like, wow, well, I, I want to hear what he has to say here. He made a statement. He said, there's two things that will change your life. He said, when you see God as He really is, and when you see yourself the way that God sees you. I thought, boy, what a great, great thing. If we could ever get to the place where we can see God as He really is, we can strive for that, but the truth is we'll never see Him as He really is until we get to heaven. But we can get to know Him more and more. We can see more and more of Him this side of heaven. And perhaps that needs to be our prayer. Perhaps that needs to be the desire of our hearts. Lord, help me to see You more clearly. Is there anything in your life? Is there anything in my life that is more beautiful than the Lord Jesus Christ? Think about that for a moment. You know why we sin? Because something becomes more beautiful to us than Jesus. And it's during those moments we need to say, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes. I want to see Him high and lifted up. I've used this passage before, but I'm going to ask, if you will, to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. In verse number 1, Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. By the way, these folks that go around today talking like God is their buddy. These guys that go around talking about the fact that He's the, the big man or the, the man upstairs. Can I tell you, that is not my God. Fellas that will get in pulpits today and talk about having visions or seeing God or, or going to heaven and walking and being a pal to God and, and walking along like just two... two common fellows that are going together. While I will tell you this, that He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is my Father. I will tell you, He's also the God of heaven. And He is the one that when I get in His presence, I'm not going to feel like He's my equal. I can't even imagine, as we see Him for the very first time, when we walk through those gates of heaven, we see God for that very first time. And then throughout all of eternity, how in the world 
Can we even stand in His presence? Isaiah says, I saw also the Lord high, lifted up His train, filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each with had six wings. With twain He covered His face, with twain He covered His feet, and with twain He did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah sees these things, and in the presence of seeing God upon His throne and these seraphims that are flying around and crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In verse number 5, the Bible says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happened in Isaiah's case? His eyes were opened. He saw the King. He saw the Lord of hosts. And in the presence of such absolute holiness, in the presence of such absolute perfectness, Isaiah was able to see himself more clearly. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Can I tell you this? We need to make the prayer of our hearts, Lord, open mine eyes. Open mine eyes. I think there's a few things we should be praying for that God would open our eyes to, first of all, and I think the most important in our life. Lord, help me to see You more clearly. If God would help us to see Him more clearly, it would affect every area of our life. These two blind men, Jesus heals them. The Bible says that once He healed them, they what? They followed Him. Nowhere in that passage do you see the Lord Jesus saying, Follow Me, as He did to some others. But when they saw Him, could you imagine being one of those two? And the first vision that you ever had in your life is the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they followed Him. I think in our Christian lives, one of the great things that we have need of is to see our need. And to say, Lord, help me to see You. Help me to see You. And then secondly, I think we need to pray, Lord, as I see You more clearly, may I see more of Myself. The way that I am. The question we began the message with this morning. Am I fully right with God? Is there anything in my life that is between me and Jesus? Anything. If there is, that's what's hindering the stirring of my heart what we would call revival 
among the hearts of God's people. Why? Because I have quenched the Holy Spirit. I've had something between my heart and His. Lord, help me to see You more clearly. And as a result of seeing You more clearly, Lord, may I see myself in the light that You see me. I often end with that, but I, I'd like to add one other thing I think we need to be able to see. Because if that's all we ever see, it becomes kind of a morbid picture to us, doesn't it? That the closer we get to God and the more we see Him and the more clearly we see Him, the, the more we see our undone condition. But can I tell you this? Thirdly, I think we need to see this. We need to see ourselves being loved, empowered, and strengthened by Him. Look with me in the book of Revelation chapter 3 once again at this church of Laodicea. I think sometimes, and I have, I've been guilty of this in my own life, I have felt like God had nothing but chastening and scourging for the church of Laodicea. That is not the case. Can I tell you this, that even though Laodicea was the way it was, and even though because they were lukewarm, he said, I will spew thee out of my mouth, out of my mouth, there was still a love that he had for the church of Laodicea. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because look what it says in verse number, uh, verse number 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. In other words, Jesus was saying, I, I, you're, not, you're not past the point of redemption. I, I want to draw you back to Myself. I'm going to charge you to do these things, and it will help you come back to Me. As many as I love, He says, I rebuke and chasten. What does that first verse say? The first sentence say? As many as I what? Love. I rebuke and chasten. What's he doing in the church of Laodicea? He's rebuking them and chastening them. Can I tell you this? If you're being chastened by the Lord today, praise God for it. It means He loves you. It's not pleasant, but it's needful. And He's crying out and calling out to the church of Laodicea. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous. Therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and I'm glad He still does. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. That door that was opened in Philadelphia, it's been closed now. If you'll open it again, He says, I'll still come in, and I will still sup with you and allow you to sup with me, and that fellowship will still be sweet. Yes, the closer we see the Lord, and the more we have our eyes open to who He really is, the more we see our undone condition. But we need to also say, Lord, in seeing these things, may I also see the wonderful benefits of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem me from my sin and purify unto Yourself a peculiar people zealous of good works. To see ourselves with God. Not just God by Himself. Not just us as ourselves. But both of us together. And oh, what a joy. 
that the redemptive work of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to walk arm in arm with the Savior. There was a song years ago. I don't know if I can remember all the words of the verse, but it said, I traveled along along some lonesome road. My burdens were heavy and dark was my load. Jesus came by and the song talks about Him coming by and how that that load was rolled away. And the chorus goes like this, Now it is Jesus and me for each tomorrow, for every sorrow, or every heartache and every sorrow. I know that I can depend upon my newfound friend. And so to the end, it's Jesus and me. Yes, it's a sobering and a somber thought. We do need to realize our undone condition. But then we need to take hope in the fact that He raises us up and purifies us to walk in fellowship with Him. In Isaiah chapter number 6, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Then I want you to notice what else he says. He says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which, had taken, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thine lips. Thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Isaiah could speak in God's presence not because of anything he did, but because of what Christ had done for him. I'm thankful that we sit here this morning redeemed. The songwriter said it this way, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. We need to pray today, Lord, help me to have my eyes open. Even the best-intentioned Christian can find themselves in a pharisaical mindset of cleaning the outside of the vessel when what we need to say is, Lord, open mine eyes. Anoint them with eye salve that I can see. God's desire was not for the church of Laodicea to be judged. God's desire was for the church of Laodicea to come back to Him. Because He ended their letter with, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The question is, am I fully right with God? Are my eyes blinded? Are my ears hard of hearing? Perhaps we need to say, Lord, I need my eyes opened. I need my eyes opened. Psalm 119, you can turn there if you like, I'll read it to you. Psalm 119 and verse number 18. The psalmist said this, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. 
say, Lord, I need my eyes open once again. I've heard people say, well, I just don't get much out of church anymore. That pastor's dry. Can I tell you this? If your heart is stirred, if a man gets up, I don't care if he's got charisma, and, and we live in a day where people say, well, that preacher, he's got to entertain me for 30 minutes, or, or he's a dry preacher, or he, he doesn't have a... Can I tell you this? If he's teaching pure doctrine and sound doctrine from God's Word, the problem is not in the preaching. The problem is in the hearing. Open now mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Am I fully right with God today or is there something there? Is there something between me and the Savior that's holding His work in my life back? The stirring of my heart. Revival begins when the heart of God's people is stirred. When we get right with God. When we begin to shed the tears and to weep and say, Oh, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, for I, I have failed, Lord. That's when true revival can begin. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, it can bring such conviction to us so many times, and yet sometimes we get so used to reading it.